This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Business storytellers, how's it going, everyone? Today, back for another live stream to wrap up the week. We actually have another one coming up in a little bit to go over how to use Google Optimize. So I'm looking forward to learning a lot in that session as well. As you can see, um, I'm totally taking liberty this week of what Cyber Monday is. My book is still available for Cyber Monday week. I'm a marketer, huh? You knew it. So um, that's how we do it. Before we get started here, a couple quick shout outs. Uh, the book is still available. If you're watching on Amazon Live, the link is below. Also, today's guest's book is down there as well. Mad Zucker, that's going to be the uh, featured book for most of the show. You can click over and order your copy right now. He can tell us if he also took um, Liberty with Cyber Monday for the whole week. Uh, I don't know. We'll bring him out of the green room in a couple minutes here. Really quickly, Restream is what I use to uh, live stream to all these different channels. If you're what if you're listening on the podcast channels, um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. If you do send me an invite on LinkedIn, do not say. Christoph, I noticed you're human. I'm human too, so I thought we should connect. Don't do that. Just say you listen to the show, you want to connect. Um, please. There's so many people who send those messages. It is just weird. We're live on Twitter, Periscope, YouTube, Twitch, uh, Amazon Live as usual, and on Facebook. So uh, I see Matt already reshared everything we're doing here. Always appreciate that. And I want to give one other quick shout out. Uh, I'm going to have to find that. We do use Switcher Studio to produce the show. So at the bottom there, you can see how to sign up for that. It's directly on my iPad. So I'm looking at my iPad. And then from my iPad, I'm just basically um, clicking buttons. And there you go. Easy, breezy, um, whatever. So Mad Zucker is today's guest. He wrote the book. I don't even have it in front of me here. We'll pull it up in a minute. It is at the bottom there. I started reading it. It's a very interesting read about creativity, and maybe he can flash it once we bring him out of the green room. I know people like sitting in there and enjoying the time. But let's bring him on the show to talk about creativity and marketing, why he wrote the book, and go from there. Matt, how's it going? Hi there. Great to meet you. Great to see you. Well, it feels like I've, I've known you for a while. I don't know. We connected on Twitter for, I don't know, you said something smart or something like that happened. Yeah, so that's just really funny how you start to get to know people and then you're like, do I really know that person or, you know, do I need to get to know them? Well, I think this is the latter. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how we connect. Of course, today I've been in this basement office for the last nine months. I only leave to go to bed, yell at my kids. I put a sign up. The answer to your question is no. Go back to class. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I have two. I have two podcasts. I barely get the dishes done. Yeah. <laughs> right there, you go. So, tell us about the book. What's the? What was the name of it again? Bronze C. Uh, it's on my little screen here. You have it in front of it's you. It's a. It's 
bronze, seek silver. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, it's, a, it's basically my resume backwards. It takes a series of my jobs over basically a 30 year career in advertising and marketing. And it tries to punctuate with lessons learned at each point. So kind of like what I, what I got out of it and hopefully other people can either not make the same silly mistakes I made, or maybe, maybe follow some good, good guidelines and some hilarious stories along, along the way about the crazy world of marketing and careers in it. Well, the, the world of marketing certainly is crazy. And some of your stories, especially early on, are kind of interesting. I mean, they're, you know, th those are the times when we're still in offices and stopped by creative directors' offices to, to make a pitch and those kind of things. Uh, of course, I don't know, 2022, we'll get back to some of those things, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it was so different then, right? Like, I sat <laughs> my first job as a secretary. I sat mm -hmm. outside six creative directors' offices. And each one was wackier than the next. And each, you know, I was trying to become a copywriter. So they would each give me assignments and I would try to impress them. And I was always answering the phones from the spouses about, you know, you know she's going to be late. He's going to be late. And mm -hmm. then they would give me different requests, you know, either personal errands to do or pasting up their TV storyboards. Or once in a while, if I was really lucky, getting a copywriting writing assignment to try to prove myself. And for, for them, it was slave labor. For me, it was, you know, a great opportunity. Interesting and definitely a good read. I read it. Do you still have the Cyber Monday deal going on? Did you take liberty like I did for the week or just the one day? You know, I, I think on the paperback, it's still up. I think on the ebook, it just converted back, but that's on Amazon. I think if you look on Apple Books or on uh, Kobo or on Gumroad or a bunch of other places, I haven't gotten around to changing it back. So it's still like a $1.99 ebook. In some places, it's three ninety nine. In some places, and the paperback should be about nine ninety nine, I think, on on sale and stuff. But it's so it's so crazy. And smash words like it's crazy. The whole world of publishing is just so complicated. Oh my God! There's like fifteen channels you just mentioned for yeah. where you're selling. I mean, it is it's very interesting um, how things have evolved. Of course, we're doing the the podcast here. We live stream to all these different channels. That didn't used to be a thing. In fact, I'm telling you one thing. I used to do webinars. We live streamed them, and you know what I would do. We would have four phones next to each other on different tripods to stream to the different channels. Today, it's all from one from one iPad, right? Uh, with a with a ring light on the top that I stole from my 12 year old or borrowed it. I guess it's not even mine. So when people say, "What equipment do you use?" I say, "My daughter's." Um, and then, of course, the podcast channels very similarly. Um, so tell us about why did you write a book about creativity and and hopefully, what are some of the key things people can take from it? Yeah, I, I think as I've gotten on in my career and tried different things, I found there's good lessons you learn along the way. So it's, it's about advertising and marketing and creativity, but it's really also about managing a career and, you know, different ways to selling brands and building relationships. And then in the end, you know, the ups and downs of a career. So I started because I think I was, you know, wanting to make a big shift in my career at some point. And my husband had a career counselor and he had these great lessons about write down, and I stole this from him, stole, write down 10 different jobs you've had, why you got in it, what you learned during it, and then why you left it. And if you do that 10 times, maybe you'll see some patterns and you'll luck out and you'll figure out what makes you you and what you should do next. So I did this and I loved it so much because each memory triggered another memory that it started to become the book. So I just kept going with it. And each one became a chapter and each job became a lesson. And, and from that, I kind of found out things about, you know, 
wow, I was more entrepreneurial than I thought when I was younger because I did some crazy stuff. Or I was, um, you know, if I had pushed harder on trying to win awards and set standards, maybe I would have had an easier time getting a job in 1999, you know, when I was out of work. Um, I also realized I got into early, di into early digital really early among the most. So it was really lucky, a lucky break. And it cannot be an intentional thing. Should one always try to get into things early? And I found the answers. Probably yes. Maybe you don't have to be first, but you, it's a good idea to be among the first wave. And right now we've got a big wave going on of other kinds of digital marketing right now, whether it's AI or emerging platforms and chat and conversational interfaces and stuff. So I think the lesson is still true today as it was back in 1996 when the early web was starting. And I can tell you being early, even if you're not first, there is value. And I'll give you an example. We're doing the Amazon Live, and I barely figured out how to even do it. And I was already signed up for the Amazon Influencer Program. I don't, I don't know why. I didn't do anything with them, but I was, right? Um, but so few people are actually, I mean, there's people doing Amazon Lives, but there's so few people that it, I've actually found in the last week to two weeks, it's actually a differentiator because I have brains reaching out to me and saying, hey, can you do an Amazon Live? Can you do this? Can we work like this? And I'm like, who knew? Anybody would care, but I think it's because it's so new and it's so few people. I mean, I can count on one hand the uh, marketing people that I know that actually stream to Amazon. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think it's, you've got to get in there and fiddle and, and so you can learn how it works and then you develop that nuance. And when you develop a nuance for how things work, that credibility comes across. I mean, the biggest compliment I've ever gotten from clients is always like, hey, I think you get our business. I think you get us. And it's not because I knew the business. It's because I really studied. I called the Forrester analysts. I read the books. I read routers for dummies. And I tried to really learn. So I kind of showed up showed up well and you did your, your research. But I think, I think careers are long and you've got to really try new things. You've got to be first. Um, the other lesson I really learned early on was to swing big. And, because, and it's going to be hit or miss. But if you're, you, you can't, like, I hate all these best practice people and optimizing <laughs> yourself. I think... Mm -hmm. I think it's just a disaster because all, what are you doing? You're just being just good enough or good enough as yesterday. But I learned early on in college, we did this thing called the world's um, largest lasagna. We kind of oh. built it at Cornell. And it was, it kind of taught me really early on to try to get in the Guinness book. Right. Mm -hmm. And then um, at Ogilvy, we did the world's, the search for the world's greatest salesperson. And a lot of things that win a con or that really um, stand, you know, you want to be introduced, you know, on the stage are things that you, that you did that were really big. And I think, Agencies like um, Crispin, if you know them, they had it in their kind of brief. They had the the first blank. What is the press release we're going to release about this? The biggest, the best. So I think going to extremes is a really great secret in creativity and marketing success. You won't always succeed at it, but if you don't swing for it, you're kind of selling yourself a little short and you're kind of missing out on the fun of the ride. So uh, one, one line in your book, and I'm sure I'm not going to quote it exactly, but I did tweet it the other day, so maybe it's even top of mind for you. It was something about, I don't have to become a chef to write about all the, the food, or I, don't have to, I just have to know how they talk about things, right? Yeah. And so talk about that a little bit, because I sometimes, I, so there is value, right? I mean, there was a, I was looking at a law enforcement magazine the other day, and a retired lieutenant is actually the head of it. I don't know if he's the editor or the writer or whatever, but you know, he certainly knows the industry. Uh, but, but how, how do people dive into different industries, even if they know nothing about it? Um, yeah. Certainly, you know, I grew up as a journalist, so I can, I can ask anybody anything, you know, why is, I mean, I even used to go up to cops back in the day when they would say we had this shooting and this and this. I'm like, look, I know nothing 
about guns. Like, explain it to me like I'm eight. Do you know what I mean? So uh, certainly I do that. But what other tips do you have that you can share to make those kind of things easier for people? Yeah, and this is a this is a proven thing in from David Ogilvie selling cookers door to door and becoming you know salespeople really learn their stuff to every good journalist right that really gets into the subject matter. So very very early on when I was a secretary at FCB Liebercats and I was trying to get promoted and I asked all my bosses for writing assignments. My boss Dennis Ferrone actually gave me one to write these ads about. Uh, for Fleischmann's Egg Beaters, the egg substitute. And he asked me to write these ads. I, got to, I had to rewrite recipes using egg beaters. So I had to write something that really sounded like a recipe. Um, and I had to do three of them. I had to do French toast, an omelet, and chocolate chip cookies. Those were all things that would use egg beaters instead of eggs and be a little healthier for you. So I stayed up all night and I wrote these ads. And I, you know, I rhymed things and I thought it was brilliant. And I hand them to the next morning and he sat there and read them, and he's like, these are terrible. These don't sound like food at all. This has absolutely no appetite appeal. Try again. So I went back over lunchtime, and I rewrote them again. And, you know, I handed them in, and, of course, they were terrible. Um, and Dennis, you know, he didn't pull it from me like, like a lot of people would be, you know, two strikes and you're out. He said, do you cook? And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't cook. I don't cook at all. He's like, yeah, that's pretty clear. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the bookstore. This is when bookstores were open. And you could go buy as many cookbooks as you could carry. Um, and then, you know, you can expense them, obviously, and then go home and read them. And before you write another word, read all the, read as many recipes until you fall asleep and then wake up and write your ads. So I did that. I followed his directions and it was true. And I wrote my first ads and, and I really was quite delicious. I think in my modifiers and my description of food, because I kind of got into the food subject matter. And ever since then, I've always told people whether they're writing financial services or any kind of subject matter is find the, the nuance, like I mentioned earlier, find the story. And if you can get it inside your system, you might be able to exhibit some of the authenticity that embodies. But, but unless you fiddle with it, unless you really read it, now I've tried to learn how to cook. I'm still terrible. But you'll, you'll, then, you, then you can write for other people. And then you can show up in the room with credibility. And this also worked when I was doing radio. We were trying to do radio commercials for West Virginia, but we couldn't I'm in, mm -hmm. in other regions of the country. And I'd never been to West Virginia, so I didn't know how to get the accent right. And the, the, the actor in the studio also, she's very good, but she wasn't getting it right. And I said to her, I go, I don't think we're hitting the West Virginia accent very right, even though the jokes I thought were pretty good. Um, and she's like, what do you know? You've never been you know, further west than you know, the only place you've been is the Castro in California. And I'm like, well, let, let's do this. Let's, let's hang on. Just, I'm going to put you on speakerphone and play along. And if you know Wheeling, West Virginia is a town, and if you know the Billy Joel song, Billy the Kid, that's what I thought of. So I called the librarian in Wheeling, West Virginia, and I put the librarian on speaker. And I got her to talk for a little bit. And sure enough, the whole she's very proud of the legend of Billy the Kid. And she's talking and talking. And I can watch the actress in the studio kind of get it and start to understand, oh, I feel the accent. I feel the rhythm. And I also developed an ear for it so I would know what was right for wrong. So we thanked the librarian, hung up the phone, and recorded a really, you know, a terrific, I think, sounding impression or commercial for AT&T um, for the West Virginia market. And we repeated this trick, calling libraries all across the country. And I, so I, I think that's another example. I think that's a fantastic example. Call the library and uh, and hear their accent and see how they talk. They have course, time to talk. They do have time to talk. And I was going I was thinking, I'm like, you know, do people even answer the phone anymore? I mean, I don't answer my phone at all. Yeah, you now know, I guess you got to send a sound file or something. You, <laughs> but if you call the library, you know, certainly um, they probably answer the phone. I guess. Um, that's a fantastic trip. When it, uh, a tip when it comes to 
Uh, copywriting, though, uh, how about um, hitting the right tone for an industry, not being tone deaf? Um, I mean, there's different different things, right? I mean, you can totally step into uh, some kind of problem that you, you, you didn't realize, for example, versus um, you just didn't hit the correct language. And, and my fun story is I was in a cab, or not a cab, in a lift in, uh, in Nashville. And my my driver said, oh, I'm a I'm an artist. And I, I don't remember what I said exactly, but it was something like, oh, what? I didn't say vertical, but basically, what vertical? And he said, oh, you mean genre? Like, technically, that is exactly the correct term. But, you know, musicians don't say, I'm a, you know, I'm in the country vertical. They're in the country genre. So, you know, certainly that's not a big misstep in conversation, but it certainly would have been in an ad and on a billboard outside the grand old Opry or whatever. Um, so how do you how do you kind of um, get around those things or how do you help people grow to make sure they understand all those different um you know, issues that they can run into. That's really tricky because there's, you know, there's advertising writing and a lot of copywriters can extend across different verticals or genres. Um, and there's different tricks to do that. Um, you know, talking to customers, calling librarians, um, spending some time on the factory floor, so to speak, virtually or real. Um, I call Forrester analysts because they always like spell it out for you and kind of give you, you know, give a lot away. Um, I think when you get into content writing, if you're writing blog posts or articles or kind of the information that's more of a long-term relationship than an ad, I tend to use writers that actually work in that industry or are more specialized. So I'm a little more precious about who's got the the vertical or genre depth. Um, but I think, you know, if you were doing advertising, there are some ways to do it. I had to do a lot of campaigns for like Baby Formula and Johnson, as well as Johnson's Baby. And I, I did not ever have a baby. So I it was really a stretch for me. So I really had to talk to a lot of moms, a lot of, um, a lot of folks, a lot of parents who went through it and try to develop the ear for it, but also willing to step back and kind of pull the dialogue out of other people rather than trying to invent it myself. But people, if you talk to them, they'll give you the answer. They'll, they'll, and they won't realize they just gave you a genius headline or a genius statement, but mm -hmm. they gave it to you. And if you're there to capture it and you're paying attention and you're a good listener, you can synthesize that and serve it right back. And, and it's, it's sort of like you wrote it, but you, you pulled it from the audience. And that's the, the best way to do it. Yeah, uh, the conversation definitely still gets you good information and, and much better than just sending emails around. I mean, you know, I, I, I go through emails so quickly. Um, good luck getting things out of me in an email. Um, the other thing, you know, especially when I was hiring, I, I one person asked me this once and said, um, it, when, you know, when it's time for their question, for them to ask questions, if they didn't ask them throughout, um, what concerns do you have to hire me for this role in my background? And I always thought that was a brilliant question because I don't think there's a company under the sun that will tell you why they didn't hire you once they make the decision. But a lot of people, when you interview with them, will actually answer that question and will tell you, and then you have a chance to respond. So it's kind of like, you know, the conversation is still very important um, to, to get valuable content from people and, and valuable insights. Yeah, I agree too. And careers are so tricky now too, because like <clears throat> you, trying to fit into a box that somebody else wrote, you know, it doesn't always work. So how do you, um, I have a podcast about marketing careers called Rising and mm -hmm. Tony Frost, who I work with, was a guest, and he told some great stories about somebody wanting to get him a job, but they couldn't get a job because he didn't have the MBA or the master's degree. 
So the guy ended up rewriting the job description almost for like it was could only be for Tony and no one else <laughs> because that's the that's how the system works and it's really hard because we're all being encouraged to hire people for ability, right, and potential. But the truth is the past skills kind of plague us and how do you, how do you make the stretch? It's like somebody asking you instead of what you, what should you make or what the job is for, they're asking you what you'd made in your last job, which is ridiculous. So we, we still haven't cracked how to look to the future rather than be trapped in the past. So, of course, the wording you, you talk in, I think it was in your book as well, um, the curse of letters, uh, you know, the chief content officer, chief, whatever. Um, but but what I found is the, the all these titles, they mean so many different things for so many different companies. For example, I have actually I've seen jobs that were virtually the same job. But one company calls them a content strategist. One company calls them uh, a director of marketing. One company calls it a VP of marketing. Some companies call them a chief whatever, chief creative person. I'm like, they're all the same job. Can we? And, but it de- I think it depends because, uh, because of the size of the company, right? Uh, and then, of course, who comes up with the titles. And then, of course, some people just dream up new titles. Yeah, I think it's a really funny thing. There's, you know, there's titles, there's levels. And then to me, there's the third thing, which I think should really matter. And that's your, that's your headline. That's your, you know, what you're famous for. So take it away from titles. And what do you want to be, you know, what's on your, what's on your tombstone, right? So um, titles I wanted, like I, I wanted to get creative director. That to me, that was being like a made man. So everything pointed at becoming that. And once I became that, it's like, okay, I need to be chief creative officer because that's what that's what matters. And I and I got that fairly young. And then after that, I was kind of screwed. It was really hard to get a job after being chief creative officer, even though because I even wanted to be like a senior copywriter again. Nobody believed me, so it was a really big struggle. So titles really are tricky. I do think you've got to scratch the itch. Like if that's what you want, you should go get it because it makes you feel good. But it's not really a good end goal because, like you said, the definitions mean something else. I, I find it's more useful to shoot for, you know, what do you want to be famous for? You know, you're the person that created the world's most famous blank or you were the first person to, you know, I, I think I'm one of the people that invented day parting on the web. That was like an unintentional thing. Like, cause, like, like what? Good. What is it? You know, day parting, you know, like day parting. When something's, day parting? Um, well, you, you target certain advertising at certain times of the day. Oh, okay. Oh, got it. Yes, yes. So got in, the, in the one of the, the first websites I worked on was one of the first corporate websites, Nabisco.com, and we created mm-hmm. Nabisco Town. It was a town for Nabisco. Okay. Um, each, each food had a different like building and stuff like that, too. And we thought this was very original in 1994 you know, mm-hmm. um, to have a website, much less have a concept for it, right? Yeah. And um, But anyway, so we realized we could tell people's IP addresses and where they were, like on mm-hmm. you know, AOL in Virginia yep. or California. And um, so we decided to turn the town dark at night and, and light during the day. And this was the first day parting uh-huh. on the web. So that was kind of fun. So there's no title for that, but that's, a, that's like a fun claim, claim to fame. So I think people, you can, you know, and then what you're measured and your salaries are based on is not title and it's not accomplishment, right? It's level. So it's like, you know, VP, SVP, EVP, whatever that is at a company, because companies tier salaries, they have to. Creative mm-hmm. agencies are a little looser. But for the most part, that is true. So if you really want to think about remuneration, you got to think less about title and more about the tier or the band. But people forget that. Yeah, it's definitely something. It's interesting to think about. Of course, I don't know if you if you follow the Ad Week account, A D W E A K, and Mickey, Mickey, they're hilarious, right? And Mickey Taylor was on the show 
um, was one of the number one episodes for a long time because I don't know, it was maybe the first time he talked about who he is and why he has the account and whatever. And every once in a while, he tweets something like, uh, freelance, um, freelance designer updates his LinkedIn to head of creative strategy, you know, or something like that. <laughs> and, and I've actually talked to company where they say, well, this is the internal title, but most people just list it as head of content or something. And, you know, so it's, it is what it is, but it's definitely interesting to see the wording matters. And of course, people, uh, people can take different, um, interpretations of the the same title or same same anything really right so uh you are the the uh a partner at profit is, is that correct profit am i saying that correctly? yeah um profit is a, a growth consultancy mm-hmm. and i lead the marketing and sales practice and what what are we seeing currently when it comes to growing i mean are we talking a growing business what's the uh what are the current trends that you're seeing out there yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 pretty exciting right now because as much as everything is in tatters, a lot of the digital um, transformation that we were all hoping for and planning for and advocating for, um, including in digital marketing, which is an area that I work mostly in, um, it was happening, right? But, you know, for a while you had to prove the case and now you didn't have to prove the case. And right now, um, because of COVID, because of the decade we're in, because of the way the economies are working, everything's accelerating. So, you know, e-commerce is 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 mainstream commerce, right? Digital marketing is, is, if it was changing an organization, now it's transforming it. Um, it's no longer the little kid in the corner. So it's a pretty exciting time to be in marketing if you are a curious digital person and if you were always excited about digital transformation in the first place, because everything about, you know, how we use customer data to the creativity, to way the way we use channels, to the speed at which things are changing is only accelerating. And if marketing folks ever wanted to get involved in product design or, um, you know, be more valuable in the enterprise than just a cost center than a line, you know, in the red, um, this is a great time because marketing is kind of showing its backbone and showing that it can contribute a lot more than just, you know, some ads or some, um, some banners. Well, things are certainly accelerating. And, w- and one reason where I'm seeing that, one thing where I'm seeing that is, um, with my six-year-old, my six-year-old, it has accelerated how she's learning. My twelve-year-old too, to a different degree, though, and uh, they, it has accelerated to learn how to live in corporate America, because they spend their time on Zoom calls all day. Um, sometimes people talk on mute. Hey, you have to unmute yourself. Remember how to unmute yourself? Hey, Dad, I don't know how do I unmute myself. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like this is corporate America, uh, for seriously, and then waiting for Zoom calls. Um, that are canceled last minute. Of course, that doesn't change um, too often. That doesn't happen in, in, for a six-year-old, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think for, what's really tricky for marketing <clears throat> is if you if you want to go to marketing, you used to have to you know, go to the P&G training program, go to um, Ogilvy like I did, um, you know, grow up in the proper corporate, work on big brands. And I, I think that is still partially true, especially since mm-hmm. a lot of those companies are so transformational, like Unilever, right? Like, why would you not go work there? What a great place, right? It's not, um, but there's all these startups are really tempting. Um, and, and how do you, and how do you not go closer to the action? You know, how could, what could be better at learning customer acquisition than going to a startup, a DTC brand, that's entire job on the universe is to get as many, many customers now as possible and use whatever it takes to do it. The downside, of course, is that, you know, they're fairly immature as companies. You re- I don't know what you'll learn or who, sorry, or from whom you'll learn. 
So it's a little bit dicey. So I think it's, it's an interesting challenge if you're coming mm -hmm. into the industry about where to start and how well can you navigate back and forth. We do see some fluidity of people moving back and forth from like Everlane to Procter & Gamble, especially as these companies gobble up other companies. So it's not so one or the other as it was seven years ago. Now it's a little bit easier. But I think if you want to be a marketing pro, it's an interesting challenge about where best to learn and who best to learn from and what kinds of brands to work on. Because even the big famous brands aren't necessarily the best storytellers. Um, and some of the smaller brands that seem exciting are really terrible. They're just terrible marketers and you might learn everything wrong and right. you don't want that. And now, you, now you're stuck with it. Uh, like if you, have a, if you learn a bad swing in, in baseball, now you're stuck with it until somebody helps you. Um, one thing that I see with startups, I, there is a, um, there is some advantages to work for startups, right? Because you really do a lot of different things. Um, of course, you can't necessarily be good at everything. Um, and some people talk about the T-shaped marketer, which I, I don't know. The more slashes you add, um, you know, you can't be good at everything. But you can also learn different things. Um, but some one thing startups talk about a lot of times is, oh, we don't care about the brand. Guys, we don't care about the brand. We just need... Uh, leads, 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 leads. We don't, you know. And my opinion typically is, you know, they go hand in hand. It's not one or the other. You can't actually bring in any leads if you if nobody knows you, if nobody even knows what you're doing or who what you care about. And that's a, having a brand. I mean, you have a brand. I have a brand. Um, you know, what's your opinion on that? Am I uh, wrong in your opinion, or do you uh, do you mostly agree? Or yeah, not? no, no. I'm definitely a brand person. You know, you build brand for the long term, for the relationship. And you, you need a great product, obviously, to acquire the customers. Um, the other thing that the start, some of the DTC brands are not doing well on is they're getting customers. They're not building their brand, like you said, but then they're not also serving their customers once they have them. Um, there's a lot of reasons why, right? They're not, they're not incentivized. They're not valued. The firms backing them don't ask them to do that. Um, but it's a shame because that's why they, they erode, and that's why you're seeing a lot of them crash because they didn't take care, especially during times like this because they didn't take care of the customers that they did bring in. But, but yeah, I think brand is for the long run. Um, and the short run, it gives a reason for credibility. It flag, flags expertise. I think the brands that are showing, um, sorry, the startups that are showing brand um, are getting a little more endurance and have permission to open up other new products. Mm -hmm. While the ones that don't invest their brand are kind of stuck with the product they have and they don't have the room to add other things or change their mind or move around a little bit, which I think everybody kind of agrees we need. Yeah, absolutely. Things are definitely evolving. Uh, Mad Zucker, you can check out his book on Amazon. Uh, we also have the link. Uh, we'll share that as well. Uh, should be up there on at least YouTube, Facebook, and Amazon Live. Uh, Matt, any other place people can connect with you? Yeah, I'm on, on Twitter. You know, BronzeSeekSilver.com is a site with more information about the book. Um, but yeah, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, you know, my other two podcasts, you know, Rising is about mm -hmm. marketing careers. So if you're really into it, we talk to folks about, you know, why they went to business school, why not, how you keep learning. We have a special segment called Thank You Notes where people thank someone mm -hmm. that came from their past that opened a door for them. I think it's 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 super charming. And then my other podcast is called City It, which is about moving to the country from the city, which is just absurd and ridiculous. So if you kind of like that kind of thing, listen to City It. Thanks so much for having me on. You bet. Thanks for coming on. Very interesting. Uh, of course, how to go about your marketing career. That is an interesting topic. We did have some previous shows on there too. Uh, should you get a degree? Should you get this degree? Should you do marketing certificates? Um, I, I've taken a bunch. Somebody counted them the other day and said there were 15. 
I don't know if that's <laughs> what the number is, uh, but you know, you always learn something and of course you then get the badge. Matt, thanks again for joining us. Thanks everyone for watching and listening. Until next time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Thank you.